Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Well, welcome to those who are joining us online today and welcome to everybody here. It's so good to be with you. And uh, today, if it's okay with you, but really also if it's not, um, I'd like to take you on an adventure through Scripture. Oh, Jazz, can I just grab my Bible? Is that all right? It's always a good help when you're taking an adventure through Scripture. <laughs> Thank you. And, um, and I just want to start, I, I, I owe the mechanics of this message to a guy called Tim Mackey, um, a Bible scholar. So if you think, wow, Bron really reads a lot. No, Tim Mackey reads a lot. And, uh, and so, you know, our Bible that we have, um, all at the front half here is the New Testament. And, and we love the New Testament. And as Christians, this is kind of our origin story um, in terms of the church. And it's taken with the birth, death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but these are letters written to the early church and apologetics and eyewitness accounts about Jesus' life. And in fact, they weren't the scripture that the early church read because they were just letters encouraging them and apologetics that were saying, hey, put your trust in Jesus because this is what he's done. The scripture that they dealt with was the Old Testament. This was the early church's scripture. And, and it, it's so funny because sometimes Christians will say, oh, I don't really understand the Old Testament. I'm just going to stick with the new. But in fact, this was the scripture that the early church had. And so it's really important for us to get our heads around it and to read it because it's really exciting as well. And in fact, the early church, when they read this scripture, they were reading it through the filter of the birth, death and resurrection of Jesus. So all of a sudden it had a brand new life attached to it. It was like this crazy new breath of fresh air and made sense of everything that they'd been reading all of, our, all of their lives pointing to this central thing. And if all of that's a bit heady for you, let me give you an analogy. Um, there's a work of literary genius that's read aloud everywhere. And that's um, The Hungry Caterpillar. And it's a, it's a story about this little tiny grub that eats his way through life and he just gets fat and he wreaks havoc and devastation and ruin upon the earth. And, and, and as he gets fat, as often happens when you get fat, then he withdraws from the world and wraps a cocoon around himself and, and then that's it. Like after just ruining everything and wrecking everything, he just withdraws from society. Um, but the thing is, at the end... He bursts forth as this beautiful butterfly. And all of a sudden, everything that went before it is like, oh my goodness, I can see the purpose in that now. I can see what, how, why he was doing that now. And I can see why he withdrew at that point. And oh, it all makes sense now because of what has happened at the end. And it's the same with the Bible. We see what Jesus has done and the fullness of the revelation of who God is. And we look back at everything else and every place where people encountered God all through here. And where God met them and condescended to their level of understanding of who He was. And either exponentially or incrementally, God gave them a deeper revelation of who He was, all culminating in Jesus coming. And it was this incredible um, picture that we got of who God is and then made sense of everything else that came before it. So one of the things in this Old Testament is the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, which are attributed to Moses. Now, Moses... Um, you might have heard of him, less so, I think, in this increasingly secularised society. Uh, Charlton Heston is no longer a household name. 
see all the people my age and over get that. Everyone's like, oh, Charlton Heston, nice, okay. Um, But in Torah, there's this recurring theme of chaos and order. And I think that today, if you are going through a season of chaos, that this message will speak to you. I believe that if you've ever been through chaos, this message will speak to you. And if you are ever going to go through chaos, this message will speak to you. And so what happened at the start, the Bible says that the in creation story is that the watery deep was there. Chaos, the chaotic watery deep. In Hebrew, it's called to home. And the Spirit of God, the Ruach, the breath, the wind of God was hovering over the waters with creative and energetic potential, wanting to do something with that watery, chaotic deep. And out of that came order. Now, when this was eventually written down, it was passed down through oral tradition, but when it was eventually written down, it was written where the people of God were surrounded by a culture who had their own origin story. And nearly every origin story, creation story, has this, um, you know, factor of chaos and order. And where they were living in the Babylonian times, they had this story that there was chaos and then their God fought a big battle and, and then order came. He won the battle and order came. And the people of God were like, oh, your God fought a big battle to get order. I love that for you. Well, our God, He just spoke the Word and it happened. That's all He needed to do was just speak the Word. And so um, that was the origin story that the uncreated chaotic mess became this ordered and organic creation because the Spirit of God moved and God spoke and the breath of God came. Now, after that, um, humanity was part of that creation. We learnt last week, if you missed the, po- if you missed the message, listen to the podcast, it was a great message by Daniel Urquhart that we actually was like, oh, great idea, God, great ideas, um, but we want to have our own ideas, so we want to go our own way. And that was the start of us turning away from God. And a few generations later, we pick up the story in Gen- Gen- Genesis 6, verse 5. It says this, it says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and He saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry He had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke His heart. So a few generations from humanity going its own way and rejecting God, we get to a place where everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And we read a few verses down, it says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous person, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time. And he walked in close fellowship with God. So I'm gonna paraphrase what happens next. God says to Noah, "Um, I'm giving them 120 years And then I'm wrapping all these shenanigans up. This is ridiculous what's going on here. Um, But no, I want you to build a boat and I want you to get um, everyone, all the creation together. You're going to save creation. And so for 120 years, Noah hustles. Now we heard a bit about this when Keddie preached the other week, but he hustles, he works hard, he goes to work every day, he makes it happen. He's working to save his family and all of creation according to what God had told him to do. Now there's lots of conjecture around this. There's the old chestnut. Well, this wasn't literal. It was just allegory for us to get the lesson from it. There's, well, how could all of all the species of the world possibly have come. And then people say that there were less species back then. Well, um, how did they all fit? And people say, well, it was, they were all in their infant form. Um, where did all the poo go? Um, let's face it, we all had that question, right? Where did all the poo go? Well, they went into a deep sleep. Like there's all these questions and answers around it. I don't know really about any of them. I've never researched it properly. 
honestly, I don't particularly care. When I read this account, my view is God can do anything. And what is, what's the lesson that I need to take from it and apply it to my life? That's what I'm looking for as I read this account. And so it says that he built a boat. That's good news. And then this is what happened. When Noah was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth and the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. That very day, Noah had gone into the boat with his wife and his sons, Shem, Ham and Japheth and their wives. With them in the boat were pairs of every kind of animal, domestic and wild, large and small, along with birds of every kind. Two by two, they came into the boat, representing every living thing that breathes. A male and female of each kind entered just as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. I just want to point out some things to you because here it says all the underground waters erupted from the earth. Now back in the creation story, if you remember, it said the Tahome, the watery chaotic deep was there. The Tahome was there. And this is the same word. It says that the Tahome rose up. God no longer restrained the watery deep, the chaotic deep. He took off his restraints and his boundaries around it and allowed the chaos to ensue. And in fact, the earth was uncreated again. And there's Noah just kind of floating along on the waters as the world is uncreated. I wonder if you feel, have ever felt this chaoticness come to your life where you feel like I did all that I should do. I've hustled, I've worked hard and I've lined all my ducks up in a row only to find that you lined them up was making it so much easier for the chaos to come and knock it all down like dominoes. There it all goes. I wonder if you've ever felt that chaos come and you're like, I don't really know what else I can do. And it says here that the home, the chaos came, the watery deep came and it said, the Lord closed the door behind them. You see, Noah had hustled. He'd worked every day. He'd gotten out and done exactly what God had asked him to do. But there was a point where he just had to get on the boat and let God close the door and float away. And we heard Keddie talk about how he didn't have a rudder. He didn't make an oar. He just had to sit on the boat with all the animals. Okay, pause. Because I've missed the way I was going to open the message. Everyone, it's Ree's last Sunday here as a Burns, because on Saturday she gets married and she'll be a Mepham. I prophesy order and not chaos upon you for this next week. <laughs> and the other exciting news, which may be somewhat chaotic, is that Mikey and Lanea are having another baby. <laughs> Unpause. Okay. So we read in Genesis chapter 8, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to recede. The underground waters stopped flowing and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth. I've got to tell you, we miss a little bit in our um, English reading of this because it says here that he sent a wind. The Ruach of God came and it subdued the home that was there. This is just like the original Genesis story where there was a chaotic watery deep and the Spirit of God was there hovering over the waters. Here it is again. Here is the Spirit of God. Here is the breath of God. Here is the wind of God causing the waters to recede and to be coming back into order. God wants to do that for us as well, church. 
You might be feeling some chaos. You might be wondering what's going on and and you've done everything that God's asked you to do. But at some point, He might just let you sail away on that chaotic water. But there will be a point where He will come with His breath and He'll recede the waters and restrain them back again. Okay, let's continue our journey through the Torah in Exodus chapter 13. And by this stage, there's um, a, a, a slave nation. The people of God have become slaves and they're in Egypt and you look at the pyramids and you look at the Sphinx, that's all done by these Israelites, they're called after their forefather Jacob, it's a long story. But um, these Israelites have been enslaved. They've been, by this stage, they're born slaves, they live slaves, they die slaves. That's how it works. And in Exodus 13, chapter 17, by this stage, a lot's happened and they're allowed to go. And it says this, when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. The ESV says equipped for battle, like an army equipped for battle. So here is this really straight path, an obvious path heading out of Egypt that looks really easy. And here are the Israelites ready for battle. And God says, don't go that way. Because if you encounter war, if you encounter a battle, you'll want to head back to Egypt. I want to tell you that sometimes we feel like, well, there's the clear way, God. I can see it. I've got courage for it. I'm ready for the battle. And God will say, you know what? You're not actually as ready as you think you are. I'm going to take you on a wilderness route and you're going to go where you need to go rather than where you think you need to go. And He'll do it because He loves you. He'll do it because you're not ready for what is over there. He'll do it because He's preparing you for what that eventually will look like because eventually they went to the promised land and they had to fight people for it and they had to battle people for it, but they weren't ready yet. And so he took them to the Red Sea. And what happened then was that Pharaoh said, they're trapped. Pharaoh woke up in the morning and went, who's going to empty our chamber pots? Who is going to cook us our food? Who is going to harvest our crops? What have we done letting the slaves go? And he says, well, they're trapped now. Let's go and get them. And he pursues them, 600,000 Israelites with 600 chariots. These are like ancient tanks. They're just going to mow men, women and children down. And so here's the Israelites having gone on a wilderness way and now at the Red Sea, looking at the dust cloud of chariots that are coming, looking and hearing the thundering of the hooves that are coming, looking and hearing the screams, the battle cries of the Egyptians. And these just aren't any people. These are the people who have kept them in slavery all their lives. Like imagine if you're finally rescued from human trafficking and there is your capturer, who originally captured you coming at you. Do you not freak out? Do you not have a trauma response to that? But here they are, terrified as the Egyptians are coming towards them. And in Exodus 14, it says, But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still. And watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord Himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord Himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. The Lord in this moment gives the people of Israel an instruction. Be still. Stay calm. Stand firm. Another version says, stand firm. 
There's an army, there's an enemy coming at you and you don't know what to do and you're maybe looking around and looking for a weapon and what can I pick up to try and fight? And God says, I'm gonna fight for you. You just stay still. You just stay still. And God in His grace and goodness and kindness, the Bible says, His presence moved around them and it put a wedge between them and the enemy. And the people of Israel covered by His presence meant that they couldn't, the enemy couldn't come near them and they couldn't go near the enemy. Even if they were tempted to pick up a, a weapon and fight, they couldn't get anywhere near the enemy because God said, just stay still, just be still, stay calm, stand firm, stand firm. What happened then was, you guessed it, a wind blew, a wind blew over the waters as Moses held out his staff. And the water's piled up on either side, a wall of water on the left, a wall of water on the right and dry ground opened up and the people of Israel were able to walk through on dry ground. And then the Israelites, uh, the Egyptians began to pursue them and the breath of God stopped and the waters crashed in on those Egyptians and they were never seen from, (laughs) heard of, done all the connecting words again. So good. The the Israelites kept going. And this is the last adventure that we're going to look at this morning. The last adventure that happened, um, not the last adventure that happened, the last adventure we're going to look at. It says, while the people of Israel in Exodus 17 were still at Rephidim, the warriors of the Amalek attacked them. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage, but whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired that he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. Okay, I think we need a visual display. Daz, can you please grab a stool? Mikey, Luke is not there. Andrew, can you please come up? Andrew's not there, done it. Um, uh, David Moore, could you please come up? This is why you need to stay all service, people. (laughs) What's that for? I don't need it. So they needed someone either side. So does you want to sit on the stool? They found a rock. They put Moses on the rock. And um, so I can only imagine if they needed someone either side that Moses was holding up the staff with both hands. So does if you want to hold up the staff with both hands. Like, yes. Sun's out, guns out. Tell you what. And, um, And so you're getting a bit tired, Daz getting a bit tired. So Aaron and Hur came either side and held up his arms for him. And so the, it says here, you guys stay there. It says here that whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But because of Aaron and Hur, we know that the Israelites won. Thank you. Please thank these amazing men of God. And um, the interesting thing about this in Exodus 17 is that whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. This word prevailed is the same word that's used 
when the waters covered the earth. The mighty waters prevailed over the earth. And so here, the warriors prevailed whenever Moses raises his hand and whenever he puts them down, the Amaleks prevailed. But what was meant to create chaos was brought into order while ever Moses' hands were raised. I don't know, I'm going to ask um, Nathan and Amy and Katie to come now and they're going to sing a song for us in just a moment. Maybe you're like Noah and you can see chaos on the horizon. You've got an inkling about the chaos is coming and you're just hustling, you're working hard, you're doing what you do and you're going after it. But there comes a time where you've just got to get on the boat and let God close the door and let Him take you to wherever He's got to take you. And then maybe God's instruction to you is, please, would you just let me fight for you? You're, you're just, you know, hammering the nails everywhere you go. You've got to find some more timber. You've got to fix this thing up. You're trying to save your family. You're trying to save creation. You're trying to do what you do. And God's saying, would you just stay still and let me fight for you? My plan is to fight for you. My plan is to rescue you. Please, just stay calm, calm yourself, calm your spirit. Maybe your arms are burning because you've held this posture for so long, waiting for God to win the battle, waiting for God to prevail over your circumstance and your arms are so heavy and your arms are so tired and you just need someone to come along and help you out and raise your arms for you. And that is what the church is supposed to be, brothers and sisters. It's supposed to be us coming alongside each other and holding each other's arms up. Bible nerds, I want you to stay with me for just a second. Everyone else, you can just ponder which of those scenarios you might be. But you might remember that Moses, when God called him, he said, pick up that stick and he picked up the bit of tree. And, and then he said, throw it down. And Moses threw the bit of tree down and, and it turned into a snake. And, and then he said, pick it back up. And Moses grabbed it by its tail and it turned back into a stick again. And so what happened was that Moses overcame the slipperiness of that snake and was able to use it for his advantage. We know that back in the garden, there was another scenario with a snake in a tree. And in fact, the humanity succumbed to the slipperiness of the snake at that time. But here's Moses with the stick. And here he is, Moses the prophet. And here on this side, is Aaron, who is of the line of the Levites, who will become the priests. And here on this side is her, who is of the line of Judah, who will become the line of the kings. And the prophet, priest and king are up there with a stick that's overcome the enemy, holding it up and letting the battle be won. And I want to tell you, everyone else, tune back in. If you're not a Bible nerd, tune back in right now, because you might think that no one's fighting for you as you're just trying to hold the posture that you're trying to hold. But on a hill called Mount Calvary, a prophet, priest and king called Jesus Christ took a piece of tree up there and He won the victory once and for all, for all battle, for all time in His name only. He won your victory and right now He is fighting for you. He is interceding for you to the Father. He is interceding on your behalf and He is fighting for you. You feel like no one's fighting for you. Jesus Christ Himself is fighting for you this morning. Jesus Christ Himself. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? 
To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.